My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. becoming more and more difficult to maintain an apartment here if you're living on disability or Ontario works because our entire checks do not cover the average month's rent for a one-bedroom apartment in this area. So the people who have apartments that they can afford to live in, even if it's taking up almost their entire disability payment, are trying anything they can to stay in that apartment because they know There is nowhere else to go in this province should they lose that apartment, which makes them vulnerable to abuse. That's the voice of Sandy Lovis. She and Silky Force are today's guests on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Sandy Lovas is a queer and non-binary person with multiple disabilities who lives with poverty. Silky Force is a chaplain who does on-call work in hospitals and who has also had plenty of experience of living with poverty. Both are from Kitchener-Waterloo in Waterloo Region, about an hour southwest of Toronto in southern Ontario. They're members of a group called the Alliance Against Poverty, a local grassroots anti-poverty organization comprised both of people who are experiencing poverty and people who are not. These days, poverty seems to be getting broader and deeper all the time. People around the world are facing rampant inflation and a cost-of-living crisis. Many jurisdictions across Canada are experiencing a housing affordability crisis linked to the increasing financialization of the housing market. For decades, governments of all stripes have been refusing to set welfare and disability rates at a level even close to high enough to allow people to live with dignity. And increases to the minimum wage have been slow, grudging, and won only through extensive struggle. And according to today's guests, people in Waterloo Region, as in a number of areas in southern Ontario, have seen housing costs spiral upwards even faster than many other places in the country as people fleeing the intense unaffordability of Toronto move in and drive prices up. Neither of today's interview participants were involved back then, but they say that the Alliance Against Poverty was founded about 15 years ago as a way to, again, bring together people who themselves were living in poverty and also people in community and faith-based organizations concerned with the issue in order to work for change. Their primary focus and their go-to tactics have varied over time as circumstance and people's capacities have shifted. According to Lovas, for instance, just before she got involved in the group five or six years ago, they had a major campaign demanding free public transit. More recently, though, the group has turned its attention largely to issues of housing and homelessness, because, Lovas said, quote, of how dire the situation has been getting in this area, end quote. They do not see any single magic fix, but a need for many different kinds of interventions at many different levels. Tiny homes, improved zoning and property development decisions, an end to homeless encampment evictions, housing subsidies that follow the tenant, an improved shelter system, greater government investment in cooperatives and other social housing, and lots of other things. An additional facet of the issue in Kitchener-Waterloo is related to the city's recent construction of a light rail transit system, or LRT. To make room for the construction, some buildings along the route were demolished, including numerous rental units at the more affordable end of the market. This was accompanied by promises that they would be replaced by new affordable units along the route, 
But, Lovas said, quote, none of those affordable apartments have been replaced, end quote, and new developments are a mix of condos and high-end rentals. One major component of how the group tries to push anti-poverty concerns forward is through public education, out of the conviction that many people who do not face these problems themselves have no idea how bad things have become. They also delegate and lobby regularly at City Hall, engage with local politicians from other levels of government, and intervene in issue-based ways in elections. They will also, when the occasion demands, organize a demonstration, and they participate in those organized by others. And in earlier years, they even did things like sit-ins, though many core members of the group are getting older and many others are disabled, which places barriers in the way of such actions. In addition, COVID-19 has been a major impediment, as many group members are quite vulnerable to the disease and have to be particularly cautious. In addition to their focus on housing issues, they're currently working to further develop their online presence and to build stronger connections with younger activists. I speak with Lovis and Force about the work of the Alliance Against Poverty. My name is Silky Force. I work with a number of disadvantaged groups here in KW. That's Kitchener-Waterloo. I am a chaplain who does emergency on-call work at all three local hospitals. I'm kind of a child of the 60s, so I haven't lost any of that idealism. The idea that everybody is equal, that everybody deserves to get forward somewhere. When I got married, I married into an upper-middle-class family. That ended, and I found myself living with poverty and always just a hairline away from the street. So it was and is very easy for me to empathize with people who live on the street. I also volunteer with a group called Circle of Friends, which is a part of the Mennonite Central Committee. We help people who are moving from the street into settled lives. And in return, some of them have helped me understand better, not only just what it's like to live on the street, but how that society works, because it is a society. My name is Sandy Lovis. I am an advocate for people with disabilities and living with poverty, because I am a person who lives with disabilities and with poverty. I'm non-binary, queer. My pronouns are she, her, but they, them is also fine. Most of my life, I've had mental health struggles. For the most part, I was able to cope with them until I hit about college. And at that point, my life just took a dive. I tried my best to get jobs, to live independently, to have the life that everyone dreams of, but my mental health had other plans for me. So when I was in my early 20s, I ended up in the shelter system of Toronto because I simply could not find a job I was able to function in properly. After spending about a year in the shelter, I was able to get out and I had to go on to Ontario Disability Support Program. And after a long time on ODSP, I eventually came across a job that suited me better than any other job that I've ever been in. And the environment there was very positive for me. I had supports within that company. And from there, I was able to get stable for the first time in my life. I was able to have an income I could rely on, and that allowed me to actually work on me, work on getting me healthy and getting my mental health issues under control. And because of that, I wanted other people to know what that was like, to finally have that relief of not worrying about, will I be able to pay rent? Will I have enough money for groceries over the month? 
It's the stress of the situation of living in poverty that often keeps people in poverty. So I wanted to help people out of that situation. So I became involved with community organizations and I found out about the Alliance Against Poverty and joined that as well. And I also try to find other ways within the community of bringing a voice to the people living with disabilities and living with poverty, including I have my own YouTube channel, Left of the Box, where I talk about these issues. Because I find too often in conversations, especially when it comes to politics, when people are talking about the issues, they're not talking about it from the perspective of somebody who can't work. And they're not talking about, you know, accommodating people with disabilities or how a particular bill will affect people with disabilities. We're often left out of the conversation because we're often very invisible. Many of us can't leave our homes. Many of us aren't in the workforce, so people don't see us. And it's just so vitally important considering how many people live with disabilities, live with mental health issues, how many people live with poverty. It's so, so important that we start developing the supports needed to just get them to the poverty line. I've been with this group Alliance Against Poverty for about five, six years now. And what Alliance Against Poverty is, is a grassroots organization that developed in this area of people who live with poverty and people that don't live with poverty. And it's a way to build awareness in the community of the struggles people with poverty have to deal with on a daily basis. What we try to do is to bring that awareness by having people with lived experience go out to different organizations to talk about our experiences, to go to City Hall to talk about the issues we're facing, especially when it comes to the unhoused folks in this area, and also letter writing campaigns and other ways to just try to bring awareness to the community of the issues we're dealing with, because I feel a lot of people don't know how bad it's gotten. And I truly believe that if more people knew how bad it was, they would care. Tell listeners a bit more about the Kitchener-Waterloo community and about how poverty manifests there. Kitchener-Waterloo is about an hour away from Toronto in Ontario. And in this area, rent has disproportionately gone up higher than across the country partly because Toronto has become so unaffordable, people move here so that they can then commute to Toronto, which has just caused our rent prices to skyrocket, which has led to more people having to move into tents and develop little tent city communities here. As with most tent cities, there's issues around them, issues with safety, issues with people living out in the elements when it's, you know, 35 degrees in the summer. And then in weather like we have right now, where it's about 10 degrees below zero, it's windy, it's snowy. And it's becoming more and more difficult to maintain an apartment here if you're living on disability or Ontario works, because our entire checks do not cover the average month's rent for a one-bedroom apartment in this area. So the people who have apartments that they can afford to live in, even if it's taking up almost their entire disability payment, are trying anything they can to stay in that apartment because they know there is nowhere else to go in this province should they lose that apartment, which makes them vulnerable to abuse from their landlords, from neighbors, from partners, because there's nowhere else that they can escape to. The shelter system is not adequate for the number of people that we have in this area, and shelters aren't the answer. I happen to live in a cooperative residence, which means that we are effectively owners of the residence. So it's a not-for-profit situation. 
I am one of the people who is granted rent geared to income. So I benefit from the government's rent geared to income as well as living in a cooperative because in a cooperative, it is a more conscious community. How was the Alliance Against Poverty founded? I have been with the group, like I said, about five, six years. The group is much older than that. I believe it's been around for about 15 years, and it really was just a grassroots organization started by some people who wanted to bring awareness to the community of people living with poverty. And many of the people involved were people who were struggling with poverty and other people who were part of other organizations, community organizations, churches that just wanted to bring awareness to the situation. And from that, this Alliance Against Poverty was built. And give an overview of the group's activities. The group has participated in letter writing campaigns. We've gone to city hall council meetings to talk to the councillors about the situation. They've led sit-ins to protest issues. We participate and help to organize other protests or demonstrations in regards to people living with disabilities. We help to bring awareness to members of the community who are trying to help when it comes to people living with poverty. There is one woman in particular who would allow unhoused folks to use her store overnight to sleep in, and she would give them food, and then she was shut down because of that. So we were one of the groups to help bring awareness to that situation. When there's a community event, like a multicultural festival or a nonviolence festival, we'll set up a booth to, again, just help bring awareness to the situation. Because so many people, unless you're looking for an apartment right now, you don't know how bad it's gone when it comes to rent in this area. Most people who don't have to rely on disability support payments, they don't know how low the payments are. They think we just cash our checks and we live, you know, comfortably on what we get. So we have done certain campaigns where we focused on specific issues. One of those issues was for free transit in this area. And that kind of had to be put to a side because the housing crisis became so dire that that is one of our primary focuses at this time. One of the issues around the housing crisis is that, oddly, I saw a report recently that says that our rent has gone up far, far more quickly than the prices of housing. There are, unfortunately, people who take advantage of the situation and rent out at astronomical fees. I am not a communist, but it is, unfortunately, part of the capitalist system. What did the campaign for free public transit involve? The free transit campaign, that was happening a bit before I joined the group, so I don't know too, too much about it. But it was, you know, following the same steps, the processes of contacting the city councillors, having meetings with them to talk about the issue when it comes to municipal election time, finding out which councillors are in support of free transit and helping to boost their signals. Although the group itself does not endorse any particular candidate, we endorse ideas and policy decisions. It's about getting the community involved, raising awareness in community about the issue. Unfortunately, we are limited in what we can do because we are a grassroots organization run by volunteers. So when it comes to having an in-depth website or some sort of machine, as they say, to get these notices out, we're very limited in what we can do. So right now, it's just letter writing campaigns, meeting with counselors, bringing awareness to the community 
and occasionally when the time calls for it, participating in or starting a demonstration. The idea of free transit, for some strange reason, just won't go over here. It has been accepted in other countries. And the rationale behind that is not only to alleviate poverty, but also to help with our environment. If transit is free, people will leave their cars at home and bring less pollution into the downtown area. Part of the issue is in this region, we do have, quote unquote, affordable bus passes that you can get for the month. There is a limited amount of those available. And by affordable, it's still not really affordable for people who are in dire poverty, people who are living with a disability. And the reason why they're so important is, you know, we have to get to doctor's appointments, to the food bank, to soup kitchens. And quite often, people who are unhoused are forced to move out of the downtown areas where those supports are provided. So it's a matter of allowing people to even be able to get to the supports that they need and for people to potentially get to a job, meet with other people, friends, family who normally would have to stay isolated because they can't afford a car, they can't afford bus tickets. It's to help people network and, you know, just be able to participate in the community. How did the shift to a focus on housing and homelessness happen, and what has that involved? The need to focus on housing came about because of how dire the situation has been getting in this area. We believe in a housing-first approach, because if you don't have a home, a shelter, a place to go, it's really hard to focus on any other aspect of your life to help get you out of poverty or help to move on with your life. Housing is a fundamental right. And the fact that it's becoming harder and harder to obtain in this area, the fact that it's leaving people in vulnerable situations to have to live in apartments that are falling apart because they can't afford to go anywhere else. You know, if you don't have a home to go to, it just, it makes everything else impossible to do. So we decided to start turning our focus towards that. We work closely with a group called Yembi, that's Yes in My Backyard, which are trying to promote those tiny homes as well as lodge housing in this area. We also help out with little tiny communities that are built in this area. And those are always just temporary fixes. They don't tend to last long because some people will have issues with it or they'll be, again, far away from the downtown center. So it's hard for people to get to the resources that they need and the supports that they need. There's other organizations in this area, so we work with them to, again, bring awareness. Waiting for subsidized housing in this area, you can be waiting for 10 years, which is just completely unreasonable. So there's ideas of instead of subsidizing the apartment, you subsidize the person. So the person gets to actually choose where they go into an apartment that best suits their needs. There is no one fix. Tiny homes aren't the fix. Allowing tent cities to stay around aren't the fix. More shelters aren't the fix. They're all just parts of the overall solution. There's multiple reasons why the housing crisis has gotten so bad and why poverty has gotten so bad. It's going to take more than one thing to fix it. And again, right now, other than supporting those other groups, it's again supporting city councillors who have plans for unhoused folks, who have plans for affordable housing, bringing affordable housing into this area. 
to bring mixed residential areas into this area when it comes to detached homes versus apartments and stuff. Unfortunately, a lot of what we want to do had run into a barrier with COVID because many people who live with disabilities also have health issues and are immunocompromised and have become even more isolated since COVID started. So it's hard to get out there and organize in the community when there's a pandemic going on, which has just exacerbated the whole situation. And some people not wanting to go into the shelters available because there could be COVID there and they can't risk getting it. Or other people who can't get out to the soup kitchens, can't get out to the food banks because they can't go on transit anymore because there's no more mask requirements. So COVID has definitely slowed down any momentum we were building. We also have run into the situation with developers not living up to their promises. When the LRT was planned, we were promised that along the corridor of the LRT, that area would be reserved for affordable housing. So far, that has not come true. Most recently, there was uh, one roof that was torn down. One roof was a shelter for folks younger than 30. When the developer bought the land and bought the one roof building, they promised that they would include shelter for one roof people. That's not come true at all. So that is gone. And it irritates me and many others that the City Hall is absolutely not helping with this situation at all. They bow to the money of the developers time and time again. I've heard the same thing from Waterloo, that we are not really supporting the building of affordable housing. And even when we get a promise that it's going to come through, the developer says, well, no, this isn't going to work. And here's some money for you to go and build a shelter elsewhere. And voila, the housing disappears. Sorry, this actually makes me angry. The LRT is the light rail transit system that currently goes through Kitchener-Waterloo. It's a newer development. And during that process, a lot of buildings that were near the downtown core had to be taken down. And a lot of those included affordable apartments that people were living in, and they were forced to move. None of those affordable apartments have been replaced. I'm not against new developments. What I'm against is when those new developments tear down affordable units and there is no replacement for them. Instead, apartments go up that are at market rate or even higher. And even when they say they will have affordable units, you have to read between the lines as what do they mean by affordable? Oftentimes, that term is attached to 80% of what market rent is. But even 80% of market rent is still out of reach for so many people in this area and even across the country when it comes to renting. What has gone up along the LRT? The LRT has been used as a selling point for far more expensive condos and apartments. An awful lot of them are condos. And there is absolutely no sticking to their word. I have frankly never been so disgusted in my life with developers. It matches my disdain for the way banks take advantage of people as well. You said that a lot of your work is about public education, delegating, lobbying. But you also said that when the occasion demands, you've engaged in demonstrations and sit-ins and the like. Give some examples of that side of the group's work. 
Unfortunately, most of these more drastic campaigns were before my time in the group. So I can't speak too much about it other than I know of sit-ins when it comes to counselors' offices where they would go and sit in to try to bring attention to a certain situation. But like I said, these are a little bit before my time. And we've talked about trying to do that sort of thing again, but it's a matter of a lot of people in the group have disabilities. A lot of them are aging out of the range to be able to support people in the group or to run these organizations anymore. And we're trying to get new members in, younger members who can help out with that sort of thing. Unfortunately, the folks who started this group were probably the more daring and the more radical among us. They are now in their 80s, and it's a lot harder to plan major demonstrations. We used to have marches and so on, but at 72, that's getting a little bit hard for me too. What approaches do you take to connecting with new people, to letting people know about the issues, and to other aspects of outreach? We often get invited to talk on morning radio shows with the CBC or other local radio, as well as participating in community events like the Multicultural Festival. The Nonviolence Festival will set up a booth to try to bring awareness there. We do have a couple younger members coming into the group right now. And from there, we can expand into the universities and bring awareness to the issues there and see about bringing people from the universities into the group as well. Because like any grassroots organization, we need people with the skills to tackle social media, to build proper websites, to be able to influence their peers around their age. So that's what we're kind of focusing on right now as well as just trying to expand the group. What does the Alliance Against Poverty have planned for the next while? Ontario just had our municipal elections back in October, so we don't have anything currently planned because a lot of things are still kind of on hold due to pandemic reasons. The communities not having the same type of events that they used to have, and even if they had them, people within our group worried about catching COVID. So at this time, we're still meeting regularly to go over how to build our social media presence, how to get more tech savvy, I guess you could say, and finding new members so that when the opportunities start to come to go to events, to start with demonstrations, to start other campaigns, that we have the people in the group capable of handling those tasks and making it happen. And as a member of a healthcare team, The issue of COVID looms large. The numbers are going up, especially with the triple threat of illnesses right now. So we're being extremely cautious. And as was pointed out earlier, some of our founding members are now in the most vulnerable group. So what we're looking at is stepping back and looking for ways to increase our social media presence. And this time of year, let's face it, social media is something we can do from indoors. Outdoors is not pleasant. Not pleasant for the people who are living out there. It's also not pleasant for those who are trying to help them. So it can be quite a conundrum. You have been listening to my interview with Sandy Lovas and Silky Force of the Alliance Against Poverty. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to TalkingRadical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.